Chapters nine and ten of Love's Bitterest Cup by E. D. E. N. Southworth. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Bridget Gage. Chapter nine. Valentine's at Mondrier. It was the fourteenth of February, St. Valentine's Feast, and All Birds' Wedding Day. It was a bright morning, with a sunny blue sky, and a soft breeze giving a foretaste of early spring. Miss Sibby Bayard had come by special invitation to dine, and take tea with the housekeeper at Mondreer. The two ladies were seated in Mrs. Force's favorite sitting-room, whose front window looked east upon the bay, and whose side window looked north into the woods. A bright open wood fire was burning in the wide fireplace, at which they sat in two rocking-chairs, with their feet upon the brass fender. Mrs. Anglesia had the edge of her skirt drawn up as usual, for, as she often declared, she would rather toast her shins before the fire than eat when she was hungry, or sleep when she was sleepy. Miss Sibby was knitting one of a pair of white lamb's wool socks for her dear Roland. Mrs. Anglesia was letting out the side seams of her Sunday basque. It is the most aggravating thing in this world that I seem to be always a letting out of seams, and yet always a having my gown bodies split somewhere or other when I put them on, said the widow, a propos of her work as she laid the open seam over her knee, and began smoothing it out with her chubby fingers. "'You're gettin' too fat, that's where it is. You're gettin' a great deal too fat,' remarked plain-spoken Miss Sibby. "'Well, that's just what I'm complaining of. I'm getting so fat that the people make fun of me behind my back. They'd better not try it on before my face, I can tell them that.' "'How do you know they make fun of you at all?' "'By instick. I know it.' And besides, this very morning, when Jake came from the post office, what did he fetch me? Not the letter from the old omen, as I was a-hoping and a-praying for. No, but a big envelope with an impudent valentine in it. A valentine? Yes, ma'am, a most impudent one. A woman in a haystack dressed up like me, with impudent verses under it. I wish I knowed who sent it. I'd give em valentines and haystacks, too, for their impudence. "'Oh, don't your mind that. "'It was some boys or other. "'Boys is the devil,' says I. "'And you need never to expect nothing better from them,' says I. "'You can't get blood out in a turnip,' says I. "'Nor likewise make a silk purse out in a sozier,' says I. "'And no more can't you expect nothing out in boys but the devil. "'Why, la, I got a worse valentine than yourn. "'Found it tucked underneath of the front door this morning. "'Just look at it,' said Miss Sibby, "'drawing a folded paper out of her pocket.' opening and displaying it to her companion. "'See here,' she continued, pointing out its features as she spread it on her knee. "'Here a tower, with a man on the top of it and a crown on the head of him, and his arms stretched out just as he has chucked an old omen over the wall. And here's the old omen, halfway down to the ground with her hands and feet flying, and underneath of it all is wrote, "'Descended from a duke.' "'That's meant for me, you know. It's a harpoon on me and the Duke of England. But I don't mind it.' "'Not I. It's nothing but their envy,' says I. "'The birds will pick at the highest fruit,' says I. "'I think they ought to be well thrashed. Wish I had hold of em. "'Let me see yourn,' said Miss Sibby. Mrs. Anglesia stood up, and took a folded paper from under one of the silver candlesticks on the mantelpiece, and handed it to her visitor. A haystack, dressed in Mrs. Anglesia's style, and crowned with her head, and not a very violent caricature of her face— Evidently, like Miss Sibby's valentine, the work of some waggish amateur. 
"'It's the truth of the thing that gets me. "'I am getting to be a haystack,' said Mrs. Anglesia. "'Well, what do you do it for?' inquired Miss Sibby. "'How can I help it?' demanded her companion. "'Regulate your habits. "'Do by yourself as you do by the animals,' says I. "'I don't understand you.' "'Well, I'll try to explain. "'When we want to fatten fowl, "'we shut em up in coops so they can't move round much, "'and we feed em full, don't we?' "'Yes.' And when we want to fatten pigs, we shut em up in pens so they can't run round much, and we feed em full, don't we? Yes, but what of that? Well, them innocent fowls and quadruples are our kinfolks in the flesh if they ain't in the spirit anyways. And what's law to them is law to us. You're too deep for me, old woman. Well then, to come to the pint. Yes, down to hard pan. If you want to get fatter and fatter, till you can't pass through ne'er a door in this house— "'You keep eating as much as you can, "'and sitting into rocking-chairs as long as possible.' "'Oh, Lord! "'And you'll keep on a-getting fatter and fatter, "'until, until you'd do to go round the country in a show. "'Oh, Lord! "'Next time I see young Dr. Ingle, "'I'll ask him what sort of vittles produces fat, "'and what'll make only skin and bone and muscle,' "'said the widow, in dismay. "'Yes, I reckon you'd better do that. "'It's getting dangerous in your case, you know.' "'As for me, I am fat enough, but never too fat. "'I always variate betwixt a hundred and twenty-five to a hundred and thirty. "'But I never go beyond a hundred and thirty. "'Moderation is a jewel,' says I. "'Lord, here's somebody a-coming. "'Who is it, I wonder?' exclaimed Miss Sibby, "'breaking off in her discourse and going to the front window. "'Why, it's Tommy Grandier, and he and Jake a-bringin' in of a big box,' "'she continued, as the carry-all, "'stopped before the door, and the farmer and the servant lifted down a box. "'It's new curtains, or rugs, or something for the house. "'They're always a-comin', observed Mrs. Inglesia. "'As she spoke, the door opened, and Jake's head appeared. "'Well, Jake's voice said, "'Ears Mars Tom Grander, mum.' "'Mr. Grandier entered the room. "'Good day, Mrs. Inglesia. "'Miss Sibby, glad to see you. "'I was up at Charlotte's Hall this morning "'and saw a box at the express office for you.' "'as I was coming down this way, "'and thought maybe it would be a convenience to you "'for me to fetch it along. "'I just gave a receipt for it and fetched it. "'So here it is in the hall. "'I thank you, sir, which it is a convenience. "'Not knowing as there was a box there for me, "'I might have left it for a week. "'Thank ye, sir. "'Won't you sit down?' inquired Mrs. Anglesia, "'placing a chair for the newcomer. "'No, I thank you, ma'am. "'I have to go. "'But I would like to ask. "'Have you heard from Mr. and Mrs. Force lately?' "'Not for most a fortnight, but they are coming down in June.' "'In June? Yes, so I heard. "'Good morning, Mrs. Anglesia. Good morning, Miss Sibby.' "'What's in that box, do you think?' inquired Miss Sibby. "'Oh, curtains, or stair-carpet, or rugs, or something for the house. "'They are all us a-comin'. "'Only I most in general get a letter first to tell me where to send for them,' said Mrs. Anglesia. "'I would like to see the pattern of them rugs and curtains and things. "'Fashions do change so much.' "'I would rarely like to see what the present fashion is. "'If you don't keep up with the times,' says I, "'the times will leave you behind,' says I. "'Well, we'll open the box after dinner, Miss Sibby, "'but we can't before. "'Dinner is ready to go on the table now, "'and it mustn't be spoiled by keeping. "'It's spring lamb and spinach, raised under glass. "'Spring lamb and spinach the 14th of February? "'Never!' exclaimed the descendant of the Howards. "'Yes, but it is.' "'Having the conveniences to do it with, I don't see why we shouldn't have the luxuries. "'Having the hotbeds, why not the spinach? "'That's what I say to Jake and to Luce. 
and let me tell you them niggers live just as well as I do. Lamb and spinach, gasped Miss Sibby. And that ain't all. Fresh fish caught in the bay this morning to begin with, and meringo pudding to finish off with, and a good bottle of wine to go all the way through with it. It isn't often as I meddle with the wine cellar, though the old man and omen did tell me to help myself, give me cart wheel, as they called it, to do as I please with what's left in the vault. Most of it, to be sure, was took to Washington. Still, I never makes free with the wine, except on high days and holidays. And there's the bell, so now we'll go into dinner. CHAPTER Ten: THE BOX The tot-a-tot dinner was greatly enjoyed by these gossips. They lingered over it as long as it was possible to do so. "'Talking of Valentines,' said Miss Sibby, apropos of nothing. "'When I was young, there weren't no Valentines made to sell. They was only made by ladies with fine taste for the work. They were cut out of fine paper, heart-shaped when folded, and scalloped circle when open, and finified off with lilies and roses and other fine posies.' and with written verses. Ah, I have known old Mrs. Grandier, Miss Susanna's mother, spend days and days cutting out and decorating valentines for the young people to send to their sweethearts. And they was all complimentary and never impotent. No such thing as buying of a valentine ever heard of. And now they've got them in every shop window. But times changes, says I, and them as lives the longest, says I, sees the most, says I. I don't think as your valentine or mine came out of the shops, Miss Sibby. I never seen any like them in shops. I think they was handmade by some young villain or other. That is so, and the same scamp as made yourn, says I, likewise made mine, says I. And now as we've got done our dinner, hadn't we might as well go and see them new-fashioned rugs and things in the box? If you have got anything to do, says I, why go and do it at once, says I. Ain't that so? Yes, and we will go and open the box. "'Jake, bring a chisel and a claw-hammer here, "'and life that big box out of the hall into the little parlor,' said the widow, "'calling to the one manservant, and then leading the way back to the sitting-room. "'Jake soon appeared with the box, a heavy deal case, four feet square on his shoulder, "'and carefully lowered it to the floor. "'Now rip off the lid,' said the widow. "'Jake, with considerable labor, opened the box. "'And now we shall see them new-fashioned rugs. "'And if I like them, I'll send to Baltimore by Mark Truman's schooner, and buy one to lay before my fireplace. Soon's ever I get paid for that last hogshead of tobacco, said Miss Sibby, as the lid of the box flew up under Jake's vigorous applications of the claw-hammer. The two women stooped over the open case. First came a roll of coarse brown paper, then a layer of finer paper, then a large, folded parcel of bombazine and crepe, on which being unwrapped, turned out to be a made-up, deep morning dress. "'Oh, this must be a mistake,' said Mrs. Anglesia. "'This box must have been intended for somebody else.' And she turned up the lid and read the direction again. "'No, it is directed to me, sure enough, but it must be a mistake all the same. And I reckon the mistake was made at the store where all the things was bought, and they misdirected the box and sent me these things, and sent them rugs to the party these was intended for. Lord, how careless people is, to be sure. But now let us see for curiosity what is in the box.' And while Miss Sibby looked on with the greatest curiosity, Mrs. Anglesia unpacked the case. More tissue paper, then a folded mantle of bombazine, trimmed with crepe, then a black merino shawl, then half a dozen pair of black kid gloves, then another dress of black cashmere, then half a dozen pairs of black hose, then an inner wooden box, 
which being lifted out and opened, was found to contain two compartments. In one was a widow's black crepe bonnet, with long heavy black crepe veil, and in the other a widow's cap of crepe lease, and another of fine white organdy. When all these were laid out on the table, the two women stood on either side of it, looking at each other, and at the articles before them. "'Well, I reckon I better put em all back again, and wait till I hear from the owner,' said Mrs. Anglesea. "'I reckon maybe you better read this letter first. I think it must have been a flung-out accidental when the paper was took off the top of the things in the box,' said Miss Sibby, as she stooped and picked up a white envelope from among the waste-paper under the table, and which had just caught her eye. "'To be sure, this is directed to me, too, and in the handwriting of the old woman, too. Now I wonder I didn't see this before.' I do reckon now she has sent these here things down to me to give to someone who is going in mourning. So saying, Mrs. Anglesia opened the letter, and being a frank soul, spelled it out aloud. Washington, February 12, 1882. My dear Mrs. Anglesia, I received your letter and hastened to reply. I should have preferred to give you my serious news in person, but since you insist on it, I give it to you now in writing. Under all the circumstances, I need not fear even to give you a shock, when I tell you that Colonel Angus Anglesea died at— "'Good Lord, then the man is dead, sure enough,' exclaimed the widow, breaking off from her reading, and looking up at her companion. "'Lord a mercy, so he is, but read on, don't stop. Let's hear all about it,' exclaimed Miss Sibby. "'Oh, I can't. I can't. It seems so strange. He was so strong and healthy. I thought he'd live forever, almost. I thought he'd outlive me, anyways. And now he's dead. It don't seem possible, you know,' said the widow." with a total change of manner. "'Why, Lord, I thought you suspicioned as it was your husband's death, as Mrs. Force was a-keeping from you. No, I didn't. It was all my nonsense. I hadn't a notion as he could die, and he the perfect picture of life and health, and to be cut off in his prime. Why, woman, you seem like you was sorry for the man as robbed and deserted you. Don't speak of that now, Miss Sibby. It's mean to speak ill of the dead, who can't answer you back again,' said the widow." "'And now I know you are sorry for him. "'And yet you loud, if he was dead, you would not go into mourning for him.' "'Yes, but I didn't think he was dead then, or that he would ever die in my lifetime. "'I—I I didn't know,' said the widow, in a breaking voice, that she tried hard to steady. "'Well, them as would understand a witty,' says I, "'needs to have a long head,' says I. "'I knowed as you was awful tender-hearted and pitiful, Mrs. Anglesea, "'but I really didn't think as you'd take on about him.' I'm not taken on about nobody, but a woman needn't be a wild Indian, or a heathen, or cannibal, I reckon. A Christian's loud to have some sort of feelings. Now let me read the rest of my letter. And she resumed her perusal of her epistle, but in silence. She read all the particulars of Anglesia's death as they were given by Mrs. Force in her own writing, and also in the slips cut from the Angleton advertiser, and enclosed in the letter. I'll accept the concluding paragraph of the eulogy, giving the statement of his two marriages. These were cut off in kindness to her, who thought herself his lawful wife. When she had finished, she gave all into Miss Sibby's hands, and sat and watched in moody silence while the old lady adjusted her spectacles and slowly read them through. They speak very highly of the poor man in that their newspaper. He must have repented of his sins, and made a good end after all, said Miss Sibby, very solemnly, as she returned letters and papers into Mrs. Anglesea's hands. It was very thoughtful of Mrs. Force to send me down this box of mourning, 
very thoughtful, and I am very thankful to her for it, murmured the widow, as if speaking to herself. Then you will go in mourning for him, said Miss Sibby. Of course I shall. No more was said just then. Miss Bayard stayed to tea, and then, seeing that her friend was very much depressed in spirits, she volunteered to stay with her all night, a favor for which the widow was really very grateful. The next morning, however, the elastic spirits of the lady from the mines had risen to their normal elevation, and Miss Sibby, with relieved feelings, left Mondreer to spread the news of Angus Anglesia's death far and wide through the neighborhood. And it is perfectly safe to say that the woman whom he had so deeply wronged was the only individual in the whole community who felt the least pity for his premature departure. End of chapter 10